It says here, it says here, the South is headed for an economic crisis. The states don't begin investing more to help poor, poor children succeed in school. Today, blue-collar jobs that once didn't even require a high school diploma now call for some post-secondary training. And companies want to relocate in areas where there's an educated workforce. That means the South is headed towards a weak economy with an undereducated population, high unemployment, high poverty. Poor students tend not to be as ready for kindergarten. They tend to perform worse and have higher dropout rates. Um, but schools across the South spend less per pupil than other areas of the country, which means the students who need the extra tutoring and guidance are getting it. And in recent years, the flood of Hispanic immigrants moving into the South, coupled with high birth rates among poor minorities, have sent low-income enrollment numbers through the roof. Here's a look at the poor student enrollment rate across the South. Alabama, 54%. Arkansas, 53%. Florida, 62%. So be aware of that if you're going to be teaching in the South. You're going to have an increase in Hispanic immigrant population and increase in poverty. And that brings us right into the whole immigration issue. Now this will get a little lively because this is a very, very controversial issue. All the candidates running for president have been debating about it. Now we don't have three hours to cover all the ins and outs of immigration because that's how complicated it is. So I'm going to break it down very simply and then begin to relate it to the classroom. There are basically three categories of individuals in this country according to immigration. We have those that are born here. Any person born in the United States, any child born in the United States, is a citizen, a document, regardless of what status their parents are. So you do have parents in this country that are undocumented. That means they're not here legally. Their kids are born here, and they are documented. In your classroom, you will have a family in which the mother and the father are not documented. They may have four children. Two of them may be from Mexico, born in Mexico. They're undocumented, but two of them were born here. They're documented. Now, if you're documented and you're a citizen, how many of you were born in this country? Okay, you're automatic citizens. All right, you're entitled to vote. You're entitled for some of those federal services that we spoke about if you're income eligible. WIC, TANF, food stamps. Most social service programs that receive money from the government, you're going to need a social security number to get services. So be aware of that, all right? Then we have individuals that have permission to be here on a temporary basis. And those we call resident aliens. Some of you have heard the expression having a green card. So here's the kind of permission that people get to come to this country. In some Eastern European countries, they have a lottery. The government here allows a certain number from that country to come over on a temporary basis. They can adjust their status later. In South American countries, in Mexico, we do not have that relationship, which is why it's very difficult for people from those countries to come over here legally. Sometimes a person can claim political asylum that is, people in Cuba have a much easier time adjusting their status here because they can claim that they live on a, under a dictatorship and that they fear for their lives. For political side, some students come over here on a student visa and they're here temporarily on a student visa or a work visa. Uh, let's say uh, Linda retires 
and they cannot find another person that can do as great a job as Linda can at doing this. And the uh, University of South Florida says, we found a professor um, in Poland that can come and teach you. They can apply to the government to bring that person over on a work visa. So there are several avenues. Now, the problem is, for these resident aliens, by the way, many of them are not entitled to vote. There are certain benefits they can't get. But here is where the, the big problem comes. There are now about 12 million individuals in this country that are not here legally. That means they do not have a work permit, they do not, they do not win a lottery, they do not have political asylum, and they cannot adjust their status. They cannot adjust their status. And this all happened in 1996. Uh, when welfare reform became, was instituted. Well, well. They cannot adjust their status ever? Not right now. I'm going to get, I'm going to, get to that in just a second. So we had welfare reform and stricter immigration. That means a 17-year-old boy from Mexico, and I've met these kids and I know some of them. They cross over the border. They spend a week in the desert. They, they pay a coyote thousands of dollars to bring them across, they cannot adjust their status. If they walk into a Department of Homeland Security office, which is the old immigration department, and say, I want to adjust my status, they are going to deport his you-know-what as fast as you can blink. And right now, what you have is you have Department of Homeland Security that's conducting a lot of raids of industries such as agriculture, uh, the poultry and meat processing industries, and so a lot of families are being deported, and the, the, the men are being deported, and the kids are being left behind. And I've had tragic calls. I had this happen in, in Arkansas about two years ago. I got a call that the local meat packing plant was raided, and 140 of the men workers there, they had no social security numbers. They were deported. The mothers were left behind. The kids were left behind with no support network. It just happened up in Metter, Georgia. Apparently they went on a raid of the two poultry processing plants, and my friends told me that the women with their kids were hiding out in the woods for three days. Now how did we get to this situation? We got to this situation because the first time in our history, there's no mechanism for these workers to adjust their status. And there are people in this country that are against illegal immigration, and they feel that if you're here illegally, then, then you should be deported. You should not even be allowed to get a driver's license. You should be deported. However, on the other side, and I want to present both sides, it's important to know both sides, there are certain industries, 7 million of these 12 million grids are working in this country. And there are several industries that without these workers, they, industries would totally collapse. Number one is agriculture because there's probably 30 to 35% of our agricultural workers are undocumented. And I need to emphasize right now that not all migrant workers are immigrants and not all of them are undocumented. Many migrant farm workers were born here. They're citizens, they work here. Some have green cards. And yes, there are some that are undocumented. Right? Also, the construction industry. I get calls, let's talk about Florida. I get calls from migrant workers who need some aid I say, what are you doing right now? I'm working construction, building homes. I said, what were you doing before? I was working in oranges, but I make more money doing homes. Uh, I know a, a person in my neighborhood who I'm friends with. One, one uh, Saturday and Sunday, I see a group of Hispanic men on top of the roof. 
and they're putting on a new roof for him. They worked all weekend. He came over because he needed help with this. They were Spanish speaking. There were five men from Mexico. He got his roof done and he saved $10,000. Now is that right or is that wrong? We can debate about that. The reality is, is that our, many of our undocumented workers, they will do the work that many Americans just will not do. The restaurant businesses are heavily dependent on documented workers. Um, the the uh, hotel, hotel and home cleanings. So there are industries that, I've been in a chicken plant out in Arkansas, and believe me, it's very hard to find local labor willing to do that work. It's one of the most disgusting jobs. Many of these businesses can only rely on immigrant labor. I got a call about a month ago from a cucumber grower out of Michigan. She goes, because of the immigration scare, she can't find enough workers. And she says, now listen to this, and you'll understand the economics. She said, my problem is the minimum wage may go up in Michigan to $7.15 an hour. I may not be able to afford that. Now, the situation, who else is going to work for $7 an hour? She says, there's no way I can get local labor to work picking cucumbers all day in the hot Michigan in the summertime. The only ones I can get that are willing to do that work are, are immigrants, primarily from Mexico. I had a construction owner in my town come up to me after the Rotary Club, because I had spoken to them about immigration, and he says, I only hire Hispanics, and I don't mean to be politically, I'm just telling you honestly, it says, bring them from Mexico, because they'll work from five, five in the morning to eight o'clock at night, so I can make my living and get my job, says I cannot find local labor willing to do that work at wage. So we have a real catch-22 in this country. We are heavily dependent on the work of undocumented workers, but there's no mechanism for them to adjust their status, and there are many people that don't want to give them the opportunity to adjust their status. And that's what the big debate is right now. And the immigration bill that was just proposed by Bush got defeated. Governor Spitzer in New York has proposed allowing undocumented workers to get driver's licenses, and he's being fought on that. I have many undocumented workers do not, they cannot get driver's licenses. And that's not good for road safety. Because I've gotten calls from migrant workers. They call me up, they say I got stopped for a brake light. Then they find out they don't have a license, they don't have insurance. And before you know it, one of the people's being detained, being deported, and it's an absolute mess out there. And I won't be surprised if you and your classroom are in a situation where one day you find out that one of your kid's father is being detained, being deported, and the wives are being left behind. In the last two years with the foundation, I never thought this would happen. I've had calls for aid in which, in South Carolina, we had a situation, my migrant friend, I have an advocate friend, she had a migrant family living with her and one of their sisters, mother with four kids, and another mother with four kids. Husbands had been detained, they're being deported, the women have no support, no job, nothing to support, and they're asking for money to get back to Mexico to reunite with their father, with their husbands. Two of the, some of the kids have been born here, they've never been to Mexico. So you can see that this whole immigration is creating a lot, a lot of social problems right now. And the debate is what do you do? Do you allow undocumented workers the opportunity to adjust their status, or don't you? This is a great, some people claim that, a lot of people that are anti-immigrants say, why should my taxes go to pay the education of undocumented kids. And one thing as teachers, it's very important to remember, is that in this country, it's a Supreme Court law, Supreme Court law, no child can be denied entry to a school, public school, 
without a social security number. All children in this country, regardless of their status, are entitled to a free public education. And if they're eligible, income eligible, they're entitled to free and reduced lunch. So if you're in a school that's trying to deny undocumented kids entry into that school, they're not allowed to do that. And if you have undocumented kids in your classroom, if they're income eligible, they're entitled for free and reduced lunch. Right? So yes, our taxes go to pay to educate these kids, and our tax, taxes go to pay for the, some of the health care, and because of, as many of these undocumented kids have are, are uh, really high health bills. Because I told you about that CHIP program, CHIP program will only enroll children who have social security numbers. Why? Because it's federally funded. So if you have a child that's undocumented, they're not going to be able to get any CHIP, unfortunately, which means you're just going to have to be more of an advocate. But here's an interesting thing. Immigrants, many undocumented immigrants, pay taxes. Many people don't realize it. Whether they're undocumented or not, they pay the same taxes as the public. Now, the IRS allows undocumented workers to pay taxes legally now, and they claim they will not report them to the Department of Homeland Security. So we have undocumented workers that are paying taxes. Even though they can't get a driver's license, they can't vote, they can be deported, they can pay taxes. We also have undocumented workers that use fake Social Security cards, and the companies turn a blind eye. They get put on the payroll, payroll taxes are taken out, and those workers will never file, and they'll never see any of that money. Money of our pension money, billions and billions of dollars, is from undocumented workers. So yes, they pay a lot into the system, and some people claim they take a lot out of the system.